listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, Secretary for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. Today is July 9th, 2023, and this is episode 233 of Lighthearted. In a few minutes, we'll hear a conversation about Absecon Lighthouse in New Jersey with two very interesting people. Before we get to our interview, uh, has anything interesting happened on the state lighthouse history, Cindy? Well, yes. On July 9th, 1999, Cape Hatteras Lighthouse in North Carolina was successfully placed on a new foundation after being moved 2,900 feet because of encroaching erosion. When it was built in 1870, the lighthouse was a safe 1,500 feet from the ocean waves, but by the late 1900s, the structure was less than 100 feet from the water. The move of the tower took 23 days. Yeah, uh, like all the major moves of lighthouses in this country, it was carried out by International Chimney Corporation of Buffalo, New York, assisted by expert house movers of Maryland. Cape Hatteras Lighthouse, by the way, is the tallest traditional lighthouse in the U.S. at 208 feet, and it weighs 4,830 tons. That was a lot to move. So, Cindy, let's tell everyone about Absecon Lighthouse and today's guests. Sure, Jeremy. Absecon Lighthouse in Atlantic City has the distinction of being New Jersey's tallest lighthouse and the nation's third tallest masonry lighthouse at 171 feet. It's also the only lighthouse in the state with a first-order Fresnel lens still in place. It's been restored by the Inlet Private Public Association, and it's accessible to the public as a historic tourist attraction. Absecon was the first lighthouse built under the supervision of the new Lighthouse Board. It was designed by George Meade, who later commanded the Army of the Potomac during the American Civil War. Construction began in 1854, and the light went into service in early 1857. After three quarters of a century as a family station with a principal keeper and two assistants, the light was deactivated in 1933. There was talk of demolishing the lighthouse, but it was saved when Atlantic City took control of it in 1946. The Inlet Public Private Association was created in the 1990s to rebuild the principal keeper's dwelling, which had been demolished, and to restore the lighthouse and lens. The reconstruction was nearly complete when the house burned down in July 1998. Undaunted, the organization rebuilt the house again and the light station was opened to the public in 2001. The Fresnel lens remains in place, but the lighthouse is not an official aid to navigation. Jean Mushanik has been the executive director of Absecon Lighthouse for nearly 20 years, and Buddy Grover has been a lighthouse volunteer for more than 10 years. At the age of 95, he greets visitors in a keeper's uniform and answers their questions. I interviewed Jean Mushanik a few months ago about a special event at the Lighthouse, but it was good to talk with her in more detail. And it was a real pleasure getting a chance to speak with Buddy Grover. He's an absolutely amazing guy. I actually saw him on NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt, um, that little segment they do toward the end of the newscast with, you know, some good news. And um, I think I saw that a few months ago Mm -hmm. with my mom and, and Buddy Buddy just seems like such a great guy. He absolutely is. We talked about that NBC uh, spot in the interview, mm-hmm. and he's he's been in the media a lot lately, and he really deserves it. Uh, so let's listen to our conversation with uh, Gene and Buddy now. 
I'm speaking today with Gene Mushenek, uh, the executive director of the Absecon Lighthouse, and also Buddy Grover, who is a volunteer at the Lighthouse. Gene and Buddy, thank you so much for being with me. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thank you. We're thrilled. Yeah, well, me too. Me too. It's uh, Gene, I had you on the podcast before a few months ago to talk about a specific event related to Valentine's Day. And uh, I said at that time that we should uh, devote some more time on the podcast to the Lighthouse because we didn't get deeply into much in that particular interview. So I'm glad to have you back to get into a little more detail and also to have Buddy, of course. It's, it's great to meet Buddy. And I've been seeing a lot in the press about you, Buddy. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But Gene, let me just start with you. Uh, you've been the executive director, I think, for, is it nearly 20 years now? Is that, yeah, that about right? Um, I'm into my 19th year. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. It, How exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. Yeah, I, I enjoy it here. And I want to thank you so much for having us on, especially at the beginning of summer, because being in a resort town like Atlantic City, you know, this is the time period when you have an opportunity to make the most money um, from tourists and being a nonprofit. We're open every day now, starting last Tuesday, actually. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now we go into our, our strong, important summertime season. So, Jeremy, thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about Upseekin Lighthouse. This is the, the high season and everything, but um, a lot of it is weather dependent, too. Our weather in New England has been really up and down lately. We've had a lot of rain. How about you down there? Yeah, we've had a lot of um, rain the last week. But that's mm-hmm. actually good because when you're a beach town and it's a little cloudy or rainy and people can't go to the beach, <laughs> they choose other activities. So I hate to say that we're we're living at the shore and hoping for bad weather, but that's actually <laughs> true. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I, I can understand what you're saying. So so as you, we just said, you've been director for, for 19 years now. What was your background before you became the director there and what uh, brought you to the Lighthouse? Well, it's interesting. I was on the board of trustees um, of this nonprofit, the Inlet Public Private Association. And so my background is in marketing. I had 20 years of casino management and marketing. So our previous executive director was um, leaving and taking a position with the New Jersey Historic Commission. And she had done a brilliant and beautiful job restoring the property. And Mm -hmm. we were right on the cusp of moving from restoration into some heavy duty, like programming events, marketing. And the board knew of my background and asked me if I would fill the position to to move us in that direction. So that's what we did. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And uh, I'm still here. And I absolutely love it because, Jeremy, every day is a challenge, whether (laughs) A water pipe is breaking or a volunteer maybe calls out or something that mm-hmm. every day is a challenge. So it keeps us all on our toes. Right, buddy? <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. And uh, I guess that's better than being bored, right? You're probably never bored in that in that job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, so, buddy, if I could ask you the same question, uh, what is your background and what brought you to the Lighthouse? Actually, I haven't decided what I want to be when I grow up yet. <laughs> I understand you're 95 years old. Or have you turned 96 yet or not, not quite? No, still uh, September. I actually started out in the hotel industry, and I enjoyed it because I enjoy dealing with people. And, uh, but I, I found out it had no future. There, were, there, there was no uh, retirement plan, no hospitalization. And uh, if business were slow, you found yourself on the unemployment line. And I said, this is not, uh, does not have a future. 
Yeah. So uh, at the time, I was 38 at the, when I finally made a decision that I needed to make a change. And I went to the post office. Mm-hmm. And in 1964, when I made that decision, the post office had the best retirement plan going. There are a lot of good ones now, but then that was it. So um, I did 22 years in the post office. I retired at 60 because to get my 30 years in, I would have had to work till I was 68. And I did not want to slip and slide in the snow. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I left after 22 years. And actually, um, after about a year, I began volunteering for the city, mm-hmm. uh, Atlantic City, driving the other old folks around to the doctors and to dialysis and that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, then I moved into housing. I had a cute little row house in Atlantic City, but they took it for a new school. So they had to uh, find me something. I said, I want a, an apartment with a balcony. And I got it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Me too. I want an apartment with a balcony. <laughs> uh, I'm on the top floor of my apartment building on the front corner. My balcony looks three blocks to the ocean from the 14th floor, which is the top floor. My bedroom looks down on a park. The inlet, I see all the boats coming in and out to Brigantine, the next island up the coast. Couldn't be nicer. And uh, I'm still there after 22 years. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, this October marks my 13th year as a volunteer here. Great. I became a volunteer when when they took my little house. And I moved up here just three blocks from the lighthouse. So what could be more convenient? So uh, I do want to talk more about your volunteering, buddy, of course. But if we could just talk for a couple of minutes about the, the history of the lighthouse, just some of the basics. Why was the Psycon Lighthouse built or why was it needed in the first place? There's a list of documented shipwrecks, wrecks, over 3,000 before the lighthouse was built. And the reason for that is that the ocean itself mm-hmm. is relatively shallow until you get out to the deep trenches. And the currents on oh the continental shelf is the word I was looking for. Oh, okay. The currents on the continental shelf create shoals that are perpendicular to the coastline, and um, they go out, as I said, until the water gets really deep. The, in the old days, the ships would come in to the inlet. They thought they would come straight in, but the channel curves south, so they would run aground, and. Uh, if they finally did make it in close to the coast to find out where they were, because they were looking for landmarks. And since South Jersey is flat, they had to come close to see mm-hmm. a tree or something that would identify where they were. And then if they turned to go north or south, they would run aground. So um, the founder of Atlantic City, Dr. Jonathan Pitney, uh, was after the federal government for 20 years to build a lighthouse here. Mm-hmm. So it was finally built, and uh, the light went on January the 15th of 1857, and uh, there were no more shipwrecks except during a storm when a ship might be blown off course. Well, that's a good uh, good explanation. Thank you, buddy. The lighthouse itself, who designed it, and what is uh, notable about it? General George Meade, who led the Union Army at the Battle of Gettysburg, yep. he was the uh, chief designer and oversaw the construction of Apsecan Lighthouse, which is the prototype lighthouse for both the other New Jersey coastal beacons, Barnegat and Cape May. So they are known as the Meade ABC Lighthouses. And I, when I tell that to guests, I always say, so just in case you're on Jeopardy, Jeopardy and the question <laughs> comes up, 
you're going to get that one right. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so um, it's 171 feet tall and it is a masonry lighthouse. We are New Jersey's tallest lighthouse and the country's third tallest masonry lighthouse, which always leads to the question, what is the tallest? What's the second tallest? So the tallest is Cape Hatteras in North Carolina, and the second tallest is Ponce de Leon down in Florida. So, mm-hmm. And then there is a skeletal lighthouse in Virginia that is taller than we are. But in terms of masonry lighthouses, we're the third tallest. And so as Buddy said, it's um, 166 years old, and we have a birthday party every year for who we nickname Abby. And then we make some fun jokes about Abby's boyfriend is Barney, the Barney guy. <laughs> so, you know, we just have a good time and and try and celebrate this beautiful construction. Our most frequently asked question, why did they move the lighthouse? Because we're two blocks off of the boardwalk and the ocean. Mm-hmm. And we certainly wish that we were right up there because more people would just spill into our property and get to experience you know, the majesty of this lighthouse. But in the late 1800s, the high tide water line came too close to the foundation. So Atlantic City did a landfill and they Mm -hmm. created four stone and wooden jetties and were able to create two blocks heading out to the Atlantic Ocean and about a block and a half heading north towards Brigantine Island. So there's been a lot of changes in the coastline uh, there uh, over the, the years. And obviously the lighthouse is far enough inland now that erosion isn't something you have to worry about or anything like that. When Superstorm Sandy came in 2012, we got about 10 inches of water in the base of the tower Mm -hmm. and the property itself was flooded, but, you know, no permanent damage. And we are experiencing corrosion on the outside of the lighthouse. A lot of paint is chipping off because we have some uh, breaches and moisture and rain is getting in at certain points. So at this Mm -hmm. moment in time, like literally as we speak, we just started a new engineering study about a week ago. Uh, The New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection has been funded through the New Jersey Historic Trust to pinpoint the areas in the lighthouse that moisture is getting in so that we can then move into what would be the second full restoration of Upseekin Lighthouse for an estimated total of about $3.7 million. So we're looking mm. at that over the next, I, I guess, like three, three to four years. Good luck. And you'll get it done. Sure. Part of your question was, what and what makes our lighthouse unique? Yeah. Do you want to tell them about the first order for now? Oh, sure. Yeah. We still have ours. Yeah. In most lighthouses, they've been removed and preserved. Yeah. In a separate building. Uh, ours are still in place. But when the lighthouse was decommissioned in 1933, Mm -hmm. uh, it was abandoned. And uh, you can't keep people out of a building (laughs) if they want to get in. So uh, there are quite a few chips and broken prisms, but the the lens in itself is still there. Yeah. And all its six and a half ton glory. That is quite a distinction. And it's lucky... Yeah, maybe it has a bunch of chips and stuff, but it's it's lucky it wasn't worse than that. Well, you know, what could have happened to it during those those years of abandonment. So it's uh it's one of only a handful of lighthouses on the East Coast that has a, f- a first order Fresnel lens in the lantern room. Here in New England, there's only two. And it weighs uh, twelve thousand eight hundred pounds, which I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. That's like having four Chevy trucks on top of you while you're at the top of the lighthouse, but. The way the lighthouse was designed, of course, with the iron staircase and platforms and and brick, it, that's what's holding up this, you know, super heavy lens at the top. 
And uh, it's no longer an activate to navigation, but is there a light of some kind in there at this point? Yeah, we illuminate it every night for the community and mm -hmm. just for historic beauty uh, purposes, just to see what the actual lighthouse looks like. And I would encourage everybody to go to our website, epseekinlighthouse.org, because our homepage picture is just stunning. If you mm -hmm. want to see what a first order Fresnel lens looks like lit at a top of at the top of a lighthouse, we use two 300 watt light bulbs to light it. And we are a couple blocks inland. So we are surrounded with some apartment buildings that are about as tall as the lighthouse. So we turn it off around midnight so that we're a good neighbor and we're not disturbing anyone's sleep or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The website is obsecanlighthouse.org, I believe. Is that yeah. is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and the so word of Seekin, some people wonder where the origin of that word. That's an um, an indigenous Native American word from the Lenni Lenape tribe, which lived in Delaware and New Jersey and a little bit up into New York. And it comes from the word Apsagami, which means little running waters. So just like people like to go to the shore for their summer vacations, the Lenni mm -hmm. Lenape also used to come to the island for their summer hunting, fishing, and camping. And yep. so that's how that word evolved over time to be Apsican. There mm -hmm. is a nearby Apsagami High School and a nearby town named Apsican on the mainland. So sometimes it doesn't happen so much anymore, but we used to get a call every now and then. Hey, I'm in Apsican and I can't <laughs> find your lighthouse. Yeah. So we're like, okay, keep driving. We're over in Atlantic City. Let's just talk a little bit about the the human history there. One thing I was reading that I found really interesting is that Epsican was considered one of the most visited lighthouses by tourists back in the days when it had resident keepers. Uh, it was a family light station, right? Keepers lived there with their families. So back in those days when it was so popular with tourists, who was giving the tours at the lighthouse? Uh, I'm going by memory on this one, but I think I read somewhere that they would do tours from like 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And so that would be the day keeper. There was a head keeper on site and sometimes up to three, uh, two or three assistant keepers. And of course, their jobs would be around the clock. But this was in the 1920s, I believe, where 10,000 people visited in one year. And um, that's how it became the most visited lighthouse during that time period. And Knud Hansen was the last head light keeper for many years, I think from like 1910 to 1933 when it was decommissioned. Mm -hmm. And um, he was very into gardening and he had hydrangeas all around the property. He had a greenhouse on site. And then the Federal uh, Lighthouse ser Service um, caught wind of the fact and it had not been approved. So they had him tear up all his hydrangeas and tear down the greenhouse and the town went crazy. And there was this like pages and pages of local people writing a petition to keep the hydrangeas and keep the greenhouse. I know I went off track on the visitor thing. Uh, but no, that's sorry. interesting. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Actually, we started talking about the lighthouse, Jeremy. That's what's going to happen. It can go anywhere. Oh, believe me, I understand completely. I couldn't, I couldn't understand more, but you actually sort of started answering uh, the question I wanted to ask you. Any other uh, aspects of the human history of the keepers and families there? And you, so you just answer, at least partly answered that, but anything else that comes to mind when you think of that, that human history there? I think this was a job that you worked your way up to because all of the lighthouse keepers were old men. 
So mm-hmm. I filled the bill as a volunteer as the old man of the lighthouse. Now buddies are human history story. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, well, both of you are part of the history of that place. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so, you know, years from now when people are, are researching and reading about the history of the Epsecon Lighthouse, they'll certainly read about both of you. You're part of that yeah, great volunteering tradition. At, at age 82, he, mm-hmm. I needed something to do. And since I moved to the just three blocks away, it was wonderful way to pass time, meet people. And Gene is unbelievable to be the boss. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's that's great to hear. And well, since uh, you brought that up, buddy, let's get back to your, your volunteering a little bit. What do you do when you're there exactly as a volunteer? Uh, actually, you have history. I'm, I'm not climbing at the moment. I uh, went on vacation uh, Thanksgiving and came back with pneumonia, which usually takes 95-year-olds out altogether. Okay. But uh, I'm still coming on Fridays and uh, I'm a greeter in the museum. With your mm-hmm. uniform on and everything. Yeah, I have a, a uniform that mm-hmm. I found in a closet here. <laughs> a keeper's uniform. So it's like the Navy jacket <laughs> with the brass buttons. Yeah, and I've seen it. I've seen it online. On yeah. Yeah. yeah, it looks fantastic. You fit the bills, no doubt about that, buddy. So you found it in a closet. That's that's funny. I was a little concerned uh, at first because I was going to feel like a fifth wheel. But when people come to the door and are greeted when they come in, because they have no idea where they are or where to go, but they're greeted, smiles come on their faces, and it's really serving a great purpose. Well, here's the thing, because our our cashier station where our volunteers are is not in the front foyer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're not busy, of course, you greet who's ever coming in the door. But if you're running a credit card transaction and you're facing the register, that this is where Buddy's saying, you know, then somebody's there to greet them coming in. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, I've seen a, a couple of videos of you uh, online, Buddy, and it looks like you have, you have so much fun and people enjoy uh, meeting you so much. Uh, it seemed, just seemed like you're, you're a perfect ambassador for that place. So I, I understood from those videos that you were climbing the lighthouse virtually every day. Is that, is that still happening or, or no? Yeah, I'm waiting to get the strength back to start climbing again. With the uh, pneumonia and everything, yeah. At this at this age, I may not get the strength back. I, I won't be disappointed because it has turned out that being a greeter is almost as, satisf- as satisfying as being at the top to to greet as well. I can uh, see that. History. So we yeah. have about five different volunteers, five or six that are, we call them climbers. And so Buddy was um, the Friday climber for many years, and everybody knew that. And so he would get a lot of, you know, people coming in just to be Buddy at the top of the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And we even had a T-shirt made with his image in it that says, I met Buddy at the top of a Pekin <laughs> lighthouse. So we just ordered a new batch for the summer. So yeah. now we changed the, the line a little bit. Now it says, I met Buddy at a Pekin lighthouse. How does it feel to be on a T-shirt, Buddy? Uh, actually, I, I feel good about the whole thing. Yeah, I'm just so happy to be alive. I was working on 105 uh, with the pneumonia thing. I'm not sure. That's almost 10 years away. You want to tell why 105? <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, the, the number was arrived at arbitrarily. But a good friend of, of mine the, who runs the, Lucy the Elephant down in Margate uh, has a very nice voice. 
and I've been having a birthday party since I turned 80. He has been coming to my birthday parties, and uh, I think either the first or second party, he sang Frank Sinatra's song, Young at Heart. <laughs> and if you should survive 205, think of all you'll derive just from yep. being alive. So yep. I arbitrarily chose 105. But I'll be happy if I make it to 100, actually. Yeah. Oh, you have to. I already bought the, the invitations that say <laughs> you're invited to Buddy's 100th birthday party. I hope I'm getting an invitation to that. I want to be there. For Definitely. That. I hope you come yeah. down for it. I, I really, really plan. I, I, I'll make a, make a point of it. Yeah. Last year, we rented a party boat that fit about 100 people, and uh -huh. we were coming out and passing the Coast Guard station. So I called the director of the Coast Guard station and said, hey, I have, uh, as a surprise to Buddy, I have Buddy on board. And Buddy is a Marine. That was his, one of his World unbelievable, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the artichoke, you keep pe peeling back and finding out new things all the time. So they arranged to have the, the guys who, and women who are on duty, they came out to the edge of the dock and they all saluted Buddy as our boat went by, ship, boat, whatever. And uh, it was, an amazing moment for everybody. The honor was just fabulous. Oh, that is that is great. And I'm glad you mentioned the Marine experiences as well. Uh, that's an important part of your life, I'm sure, buddy. Actually, my life has been quite complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was 4F for the Army when I turned mm -hmm. 18. Uh, I had graduated from high school at 17. And during the summer, my father sent me to Rutgers because he wanted me to get my foot in the door with college so that when I got out of the service, I would go back. I test well, but I'm not a good student. As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, one of the ladies had climbed to the top of the lighthouse after she, she got the story out of me. She said, you have ADD. Well, <laughs> when I grew up, there was no such thing. Well, didn't have that label, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was rejected for the army in 1945. Mm -hmm. September. The war ended in August of 1945. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, it took me years to, to find out that they they reject they were rejecting almost everyone on the slightest excuse because I really didn't have anything wrong with me. But they didn't need anybody else in the army, but they didn't the, the so-called emergency went on for another year and a half. Yeah. So here I am, 4F. What does that mean for people? I'm, I'm, I'm fit for service. Okay, thank you. And uh, I don't even remember what, what their excuse was to be unfit for service, but I was I was not comfortable with this whole mm -hmm. operation. So when I turned 19, I said, you know, they may even try to draft me again. So I said, I don't want the army. The Navy was offering four-year enlistments. The Marine Corps was offering two-year enlistments. So I enlisted the Marine Corps. As a result, I wound up at Camp Lejeune after Paris Island, South Carolina. Campbell Zoo in North Carolina. And um, one day, one of my friends said, uh, you're going to take the test? I said, I don't know anything about it. You know, mess hall so-and-so. So I got out of going to the field, took the test, and it was for the Naval ROTC. And I passed. So I really only had a year and two days of active mm -hmm. duty because I went to the University of North Carolina to learn how to be an officer. Yeah. At, at any rate, as I said, I test well, but I'm a very slow reader, and you have to yeah. read four or five books per course. I finally flunked out, yeah. and the, the Navy, of course, dropped me because I, they couldn't make me an officer. 
So I stayed on in North Carolina and worked at the hotel at Carolina Inn. Mm -hmm. Had a wonderful time. My uh, brother-in-law was a chemical engineer, and they were shipped to Australia, where they lived for 11 years. He was sent there to supervise the building and the establishment of a petrochemical plant mm -hmm. and getting it running. So they came back after 11 years in Australia. But when, when they were over there, my parents were, there were just the two of us, my sister and me. While they were over there, I thought I should be closer to my parents who lived in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And uh, so I got sent out resumes, wound up in Atlantic City because mm -hmm. I was 90 miles from mother and dad rather than 500. So uh, that was my reason for coming back to New Jersey. Although I was born and reared just east of Trenton, mm -hmm. uh, we're 90 miles south of that. We were talking about how you used you were climbing the lighthouse a lot, not not so much now. But other, I think there's 228 steps in that lighthouse. Is that correct? Exactly. It. Our little, little uh, motto is 228 steps, one amazing journey. <laughs> That's great. I love it. And I saw you in a video climbing the stairs. And you were counting the stairs in Spanish. Yeah, that was uh, one one way. I don't know, just uh, just a habit. It's so a, I, I I I did very well. The only A's I got in high school were in Spanish. Oh, okay. And music appreciation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that's impressive to be able to count to two hundred twenty-eight in Spanish. So I thought found that very very interesting. But if we could get back for a for a minute here to the the history of the place, but moving ahead to the the Inlet Public Private Association and the restoration of the lighthouse. You were saying, Gene, that there's going to be a second major restoration of the lighthouse. How did the organization form? Uh, how did that happen? And, and when was that first restoration? When, when did that take place? Well, in 1988, a mm -hmm. group of um, citizens and community members, business people uh, got together recognizing that the lighthouse was definitely, um, you know, an important cultural and historic uh, icon for the inlet section of Atlantic City. And they adopted, uh, casino gambling got approved. Mm -hmm. And that was about 40 years ago, right? So that would have been like 1982 or 80 or something like that. 78. 78, okay. <laughs> See, this is where age comes in handy because I was like in college then. So, <laughs> so after that, you know, when tourists started coming to Atlantic City, um, they decided to adopt a beacon lighthouse as a beacon of light for the inlet section of Atlantic City. And that's when work started to secure funding for the restoration. The first restoration was $3.4 million. There was an old visitor center attached to the lighthouse building. Mm -hmm. That was torn down. They uh, established a lease uh, with the state of New Jersey so that this coalition that formed could then take over the care and maintenance and restoration of Epsicon Lighthouse, which is very a very common thing in the state of New Jersey, that there would be an historic site that a, a group, a nonprofit group, would actually kind of adopt and take care of. So then... There was funding, there was ICT funding, which is a federal program. There was funding from the New Jersey Historic Trust and the local casino redevelopment association. CRDA <laughs> development. Casino Redevelopment Association. Sorry, I'm having a stall on that one. CRDA, Casino yeah. Reinvestment Development Authority. Authority. There we go. That's right. Everyone has cut it short so many times now. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so that was Casino Reinvestment Development Authority. So that okay. group. That is a mouthful. That's I have yeah, trouble remembering right. that. <laughs> yeah. So there was funding from a bunch of different sources, and that's what restored the tower, got it open to the public in 1999. And then there was, of course, the um, reconstruction of a replica headkeeper's cottage here, which is where we're talking with you from. And it's a replica of a, a home that the family would have lived in. And speaking of some of the human history, the downstairs area was modified a little bit uh, to accommodate the museum and gift shop. But we have had visitors come in, not so much in recent times, but in the past, there would be an older person like Buddy who would come and say, oh, I remember this house. The kitchen was back there. And we have a bay window in the front. So we know that was probably the parlor. The fireplace and staircase of the structure is an exact replica of how it was during 1927. Mm -hmm. That's the time period that we're interpreting. And that's why the lighthouse itself was painted um, yellow and black because that those were the colors of the lighthouse during that time period. And if your listeners are into lighthouses, then they already know that those are called day marks because yep. at night the mariners would rely on the characteristic of the lens of the lighthouse they were passing to know their position at sea. And during the day, they would rely on the colors of how a lighthouse was painted, whether it was candy stripes or bands or diamonds or just solid to know their position at sea. So, yep. um, yeah, so that's yeah. a, so now the second restoration again, talking about the moisture issues. So the lantern room, which is the room of glass panes, it's now a uh, fiberglass that surrounds this priceless lens. The iron holes that hold the panes of glass in place began rusting and the pressure of the rust pressed against those glass panes created some cracks. There's moisture coming in there. There's moisture coming in some masonry issues at the top there's moisture coming in with some rusted iron casings around uh, the whole watch room itself mm -hmm. and um so these are the issues that have to get you know through the engineering study identified and then corrected and when that happens then you know we'll have a fresh paint job and it will look really stunning once again right now People do notice that the paint is peeling away and there are parts that really are unsightly. So uh, the historic architect firm that we're using for this engineering study, I've invited them to speak on National Lighthouse Day, August 7th, and we'll probably call the seminar something like, why aren't you painting up Seekin Lighthouse yet? Because <laughs> that's what it, like, why, what's wrong? When is this going to get painted? So, yeah. you know, I've tried to be... Um, very public facing, obviously, about what's going on, but it's really nice to know so many people locally do care, like, what's up with the lighthouse? Why aren't you painting it? So I think this is a really perfect opportunity to have an expert, you know, address that and really explain to people what will happen and how long it will take. It's going, you know, as we were talking about, it will be a multi-year project to get it all fixed and, and repainted. Sure, sure. And you got to stay ahead of that stuff. And I, I know uh, from experience that it, restoration is never finished. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> think you've cut up and then something else happens. Another thing I was thinking of as you were talking about that is that 
there's other similar masonry towers that have had either recent restorations or in need of restoration, ones that were built around that time. Uh, I was just at Fire Island Lighthouse in New York a few weeks ago in Long Island, and a piece of that fell off uh, not too long ago, so that's closed to the public right now. Same thing at Pigeon Point Lighthouse in California. A chunk fell off some years ago, and they're about to do a something like a $20 million restoration. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what you're talking about, other, Barnegat is, yeah, Barnegat yeah. just got fixed this past year. Cape and they're, they're just mm -hmm. summer reopening, yeah. Yeah, Cape Hatteras and Body Island in North Carolina have had work uh, done. Cape Hatteras currently, I believe. So not surprising that uh, Masonry Tower of that era is having uh, issues, uh, not surprising at all. So good luck with all, all that work. So let's talk about tours a little bit more. Uh, first, is the Lighthouse open all year? Yeah, we are open year round. Mm -hmm. uh, we're open every holiday except for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. And we do close for a two-week period over the Christmas and New Year holiday. But, you know, we're usually in the office so we can handle any business that comes through. Um, not every day, but, you know, we're, we're around. So it's not like completely closed. And so from September through June, we're open five days a week, Thursdays through Mondays, um, 11 to 4. And then in the summer, July and August, we're open every day from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And the last time is always a half hour before closing. Mm -hmm. And when people go there, they get to climb the tower, right? And uh, what else do they get to see? Well, um, it's a two-acre property, and it's all free to look around. We have uh, multiple exhibits outside. We have a 21-bed community garden for First Ward residents, the inlet residents right around the lighthouse. And they, um, there are educational panels at each uh, garden bed so kids can move their bodies and learn about how to grow vegetables and, you know, how, how tomatoes are good for you and all sorts of good stuff like that. And then when you enter the museum, as we have already talked, it's a replica of the keeper's house. So there are different walls of information, starting with the, the oldest pictures of Lighthouse when it was up on the water and uh, kind of moving into, it's a self-guided tour into the living room area where you learn about Dr. Jonathan Pitney, the founder of Atlantic City, who petitioned the United States government for a lighthouse in this position, General Meade. And then because Atlantic City was such a tourist attraction and a beacon for all these people from Philadelphia area, New Jersey to come to the shore, we have a lot of artifacts that are very touristy in nature, uh, teacups and asparagus plates and graphic arts from the 1800 time period and moving mm -hmm. into the roaring 20s. And then you kind of move into a restoration wall where you can see, you know, what it took to restore the lighthouse. And then our gift shop is very typical in terms of t-shirts, magnets, you know, spoons, Christmas ornaments, sweatshirts, hats, books, all, all sorts of different things like that. And then that's where you would check in to climb. And that's when there is a fee. As if you decide to climb, we do charge $10 for adults and $6 for kids. And um, mm -hmm. then you're on your own in the tower. And then you are greeted at the top by wh whichever tour volunteers is at the top ready for you to get there. And I believe people get to go outside on the the gallery at the top. Is that right? Well, since that, since Buddy was at the top for so many years, I'll let him talk about what happens when you get to the top as a tourist. Well, actually, we we have a little card that says, uh, "I've seen the light." Or it says, "You have seen the light," and mm -hmm. we sign our names, uh, whoever's on, on on duty up there. 
but uh, we give them as much history as they want. Mm -hmm. I usually send them I usually send them outside first and get there so they might even get some questions. Cool off. <laughs> they might even get some questions from from being outside and looking around. Mm -hmm. And then when they come in, I talk to them until until I see their eyes glaze over <laughs> the, with with history and the fact that <clears throat> the weight of the lens and all sorts of little things. And uh, yeah, when I was doing this on a weekly basis, actually, most of a lot of the time I was doing Thursday afternoons and all day Friday, and I really was the only volunteer that took a full day mm -hmm. uh, all the others take a half a day which is fine in the summer but uh in the winter you're only up there for like two hours and have to come down again for a half a day yeah so um for july and august it was a, a challenge because it's a long day to be there all day it just that's fun being at the top oh, you yeah. can point out the first order for now lens too oh yeah we always um stand at the foot of the steps and you can look up and see, get a good view of the lens. South Jersey has experienced three earthquakes since the lighthouse was built. Mm -hmm. um, the, the first one was in the 1800s and I read about that downstairs. Then when I was in high school uh, in the early forties, South Jersey had an earthquake and the year before Sandy, South Jersey had an earthquake. This lighthouse was built to withstand high winds. During a hurricane, it moves. Um, not that I've been here, but when we get a strong wind, it moves a little bit. So during a hurricane, it moves a little bit more. Well, there was a docent at the top at the last earthquake that uh, was the year before Sandy. And she's, she had a group of handicapped students up there and she said she had no idea the lighthouse could move as much as it did. And of course, they all filed downstairs. And after the day after that, everything was inspected and there were no cracks. Mm -hmm. But my theory is, since we have that six and a half tons up there being shaken violently at least three times, mm -hmm. I think enough has shifted that we're getting... The, the water damage. Now, Barnegat was just redone. They only, their their lens was only up there for two earthquakes because they had it removed, put in storage for preservation before the last earthquake. Mm -hmm. And the damage they had was much less severe than the damage that we experienced. I mm -hmm. haven't heard anything about Cape May, yeah. whether they had any damage at all. But the fact that the um, it cost what three or four million to repair theirs right now is only in the like 1.7 oh, category okay. yeah that's barney got mm -hmm. um, so their damage they were closed a year i think well you know what we can do buddy we can mention that to the engineers who are here studying and then we can get their opinion on if they think that that could have had something mm -hmm. to do with it yeah well, that's an interesting point it seems like it had to have some some kind of effect. And when you're talking about the the docent up the top there in the earthquake and being surprised at how much the lighthouse moved, it reminds me my local lighthouse, Portsmouth Harbor Light. I've had a few people over the years climb the stairs there. And it's only 44 stairs, so it's relatively short. But I've had people get to the top of the stairs and say, oh, the lighthouse is moving. 
And I always say, I don't think so. Uh, I think it may be your knees uh, moving after climbing the stairs or something like that. So, round and round and round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I don't think our lighthouse uh, sways or moves at all uh, that I'm aware of. The other thing you just said <clears throat> a couple of minutes ago, buddy, that I loved was that uh, you would talk to people until their eyes glazed over. I think I just love that. I better remember that as a rule of thumb. And I think sometimes I tend to forget that. So I'm going to try to try to keep that in mind. That's how, how many people couldn't get enough? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure for most people, it's just it's all a treat for sure. Let's uh, let me just ask you, Gene. I know uh, partly the answer to this because I know you have the Valentine's Day event every year. Do you, are there other special events that happen at the Lighthouse? I'm sure there are. Yeah, so um, moving into summer now, um, we have four farmers markets. This will be our second year. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's definitely something we're doing for the community. And it's every other Tuesday. And then the Lighthouse will be open at the same time uh, from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. So those will be our opportunities for people to come in an untraditional time. Yeah. Uh, to climb the lighthouse and the gift shop will be open. So we have that. We have National Lighthouse Day coming up where we always let kids climb, climb free. And we, uh, we do a wine tasting usually. And um, in the summer on Wednesdays, we have a program called Wacky Wednesdays where we have all different themes, you know, pirates and mermaids and sea life and gifts of the garden. And uh, we play movie on the big screen TV with the volume down, of course. But like set up kids tables. So they're doing crafts and making a special takeaway, you know, item with them that fits in with the theme. Let's see, then October, we have haunted tours because we were actually investigated by the Ghost Hunters, which is a sci-fi network show. And that was in 2009. And there have been other paranormal groups that have been here doing their own investigations. And so, um, let me just say we capitalize on that. And sure, of course. <laughs> and any, any self any self-respecting lighthouse is haunted. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I was on Ghost Hunters in 2008 when they came to oh, Force cool. with Harbor Light. So wow, uh, I know nice. how that works. And we certainly try to capitalize on that as well. So did were there uh, were you uh, getting near the end of the list of events or is it anything oh, else you yeah. want to mention? So then in December, uh, mm -hmm. well then there's the New Jersey Lighthouse Challenge, which mm -hmm. is the third weekend always in October, and that's a lot of fun. People try and they just get in their cars and go all around the state and try and visit all the lighthouses. And then in December we do something called a Luminary Light Festival, where um it's kind of popular in the South where people take the little white bags and you put a candle inside. And we will have music there and we um, let like set up a decorating table so you can make your luminary light in honor of someone you love or maybe someone who's passed or your, you know, dog that went over the rainbow bridge, whatever it is. But then we line our slate walkways around the lighthouse keeper's cottage with that. And yeah, there's always, you know, a chance to climb the lighthouse. So these are just some of the events that have come back since COVID. There were a few years there where I was having like 20 events a year because the theory being, especially when I first got started to really develop a very strong calendar of events so that I could send out a lot of press releases on these events and then they would get picked mm -hmm. up by media and then you're in the paper more and then there's more attention brought to your lighthouse. So that's kind of where we were headed with all of that. <laughs> Well, that's an amazing assortment of events. It's, uh, I don't know if there are too many lighthouses that do more uh, special events. I don't think there are. Okay, well, then when you 
edit this podcast and send a copy to like grant funders and federal government so we get um we can find that 3.7 million dollars <laughs> somewhere <laughs> to restore the lighthouse oh no, yeah you know what here's the other thing jeremy yep. it's fun lighthouses yes we're a museum we're an historic site etc cetera, etc cetera, but the people when they when I get to talk, you know, and I'm not tied to my desk and whatnot, and you know, I get downstairs often enough. I always say, feel at home, come on in. This was someone's home. It's a replica of a, a family home. So while you're here, like enjoying one of our events, you know, go sit over there, read, pull a book out, you know, do whatever you want. Just feel comfortable. And that's mm-hmm. my theory on you know, how our, I would like our guests to feel when they're here, that they're having fun and they're comfortable and they're enjoying themselves. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fun is a very, very important component of it all. I know that. And yeah. I almost forgot to tell you about this. This will be our second year of this huge event that we're having now. It's called mm-hmm. The Last Splash, and it's okay. actually a pirate and mermaid festival. So it's, um, you know, like it's an all morning afternoon kind of event with vendors and music and pirates and mermaids and Mm -hmm. contests and kids zones and a bubble lady that makes like bubbles the size of a window and you know all sorts of good stuff yeah wow bubble lady that sounds great uh (laughs) we've had a mermaid and pirates uh, for fourth of july weekend at portsmouth harbor light before and i know what a big draw that is that's great yeah that is that's fantastic yeah buddy i just want to ask you another question here um like I said, I was looking at videos of you online and reading articles and so forth. You've been on the NBC Nightly News, which is uh, pretty impressive. How does it feel to get all that kind of uh, media exposure? What do, what do you think? Uh, it feels good. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, from my time at the top, I've gotten a lot of cards and letters telling me how much they enjoyed it and uh, kind of pats on the back. So I, I bring them in. To Jean and she has a file folder she's putting them in. I don't know how important that'll ever be, but uh, may I interject and say yes. there was a group of ladies from Illinois that saw the story about Buddy on the NBC Nightly News, and for his 95th birthday party on the boat, they traveled from Illinois to be on that boat and celebrate the 95th birthday of Buddy. I mean, is that not mind blowing or what? It's <laughs> That is right? that is beautiful. It really is. That so that kind of thing must be as rewarding as, as anything uh, to uh, have, have people uh, enjoy it so much and and express their their uh, gratitude and enjoyment to you. That's Actually, great. Uh, the governor opened the seashore, mm-hmm. <clears throat> opened the ocean of New Jersey from the top of the lighthouse a year before last. Yeah. No, it was last Memorial Day, not this past Memorial Day. Yeah. But in 2022. So he came down. And you know what, Jeremy? It was a horrible, rainy, windy, dreary day. And so it was so sad because the lighthouse and the experience is a lot of fun when, you know, it's a nice, bright, sunny day. Um, But anyway, Buddy was the bright, sunny spot at the top of the lighthouse for the governor. So that was fun. Oh, right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Bright spot. So, Buddy, uh, one of the articles I read about you uh, had some interesting quotes uh, that I loved about kind of your ideas of freedom, what freedom means. Would you like to say anything about that? I I heard this in uh, Singapore and uh, our guide there said that they had received quite a lot of criticism because they were supposed to be a democracy, 
but they really didn't have freedom. And uh, she said, it's being misunderstood because with freedom comes responsibility. We don't know about that here. Freedom for most of us is you can carry your portable radio on your shoulder and blast it as loud as you want to. That sort of thing doesn't exist in Singapore. You're, you're considerate of others. You're, you're responsible. Mm-hmm. You have freedom, but you don't chew gum and throw it on the sidewalk. Matter of fact, only recently did they allow chewing gum in Singapore. Uh, I had I've forgotten how many. There were three or four women and a man from Singapore at the top uh, last fall. Yeah. And um, I mentioned the fact that I enjoyed that if I had an alternative place to live, it would be there. Mm-hmm. And she said, not anymore. She said, there's absolutely no room. It's overcrowded. And uh, apparently, I don't think they're still doing graffiti or anything like that. But there's just no place to move. All the, yeah. the open area that I remember seeing when I took the, the train, the subway out to the uh, suburbs, all of that's filled up now. There's no no more vacant lots. Yeah, well, that's too bad. But I love I love what you said about that. I mean, yeah, freedom is a, a big part of what makes this country great, but it doesn't mean that people should have the the freedom to uh be be cruel to each other or disrespectful or, or uh, disrespectful of the the planet, the environment, and so forth. So, responsibility. Uh, yeah, responsibility. Exactly. I'm trying to think of the Spider-Man thing. Spider-Man says, "With great power comes great responsibility." That's sort of similar. It made me think of that. <laughs> anyway, not that I'm that much into Spider-Man, but so I have one final question. Okay, for each of you, for bonus points. And first, Jean, let, let me ask you, what have you enjoyed most about your work at Epsicon Lighthouse? Wow. Well, when I got the job, the uh, executive, the other executive director had already taken her new position about a month before, and I had just returned from a, my first trip to Norway. So I was handed a set of keys, and one of the board members said, there are six doors, make sure they're all locked. So my job was kind of like, figure it out and I'm still figuring it <laughs> but the best part uh for me is our volunteer dinner or luncheon that we have every year in December around the holiday time because I see everybody coming and going obviously all the time and they're so important to the operation and so we get to gather and eat a meal together and you know I'm able to say thank you to everybody. And I usually wind up crying because, well, I would say getting emotional, like my voice quivers because sometimes you don't even realize how important, you know, people are to you until you can really just communicate that and express it. And when we're so busy, like, hi, hi, oh yeah, you'll be in the climber, you'll be at the gift shop, whatever. And we're talking or chatting about hobbies and grandkids and different things but then Mm -hmm. when we all gather together and just to like see each other outside of the lighthouse and relax and share a meal and and then it's such like a unique time because everybody works a different shift so then just this one time when we're all together and it's just it's such such a good feeling that people care so much about Upseekin Lighthouse it blows me away so it's like a great way to to just be thankful and grateful for everyone. And so aside from all the challenges, my favorite part really is the people. I mean, 
they're the best. Yeah, uh, that's that's beautiful, and I'm not I'm not surprised to hear it, buddy. Let me ask you, what have you enjoyed most about your uh, work as a volunteer at the lighthouse? Initially, it was the opportunity to to meet. I I tend to be a little out outgoing. Uh, <laughs> no, I talk a no lot. you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and it was an opportunity to to make people smile, and when they got to the top and. Uh, exchange information about them. I mean, we've had people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's how I got COVID before it was COVID because we're we're close together up there. When they come up the steps, I'm handing them the card and we're talking back and forth. At any rate, uh, as the years have gone on, I find that when I'm home, I'm a 95-year-old man. When I'm here, the age disappears. Whatever aches and pains I had at home just disappear because I'm thinking not of myself, of the surroundings, of the people. And it's really uh, beneficial. Mm. That's that's beautiful. I love that very much. And uh, I wish I, I know you're going to make it to your your hundredth and your hundred fifth there. So this is such a pleasure. It's so fun uh, and interesting talking with both of you. I appreciate you giving me this time on a weekday afternoon. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Look forward to meeting you. So just thank you so much, uh, Buddy and Gene. You get here. Uh, it, it, I'm here on Fridays now. Mm -hmm. But I, if, when I find out whatever day you're coming, I'll be here as well. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I, I will make a point of that. Thank you again. To learn more about Absecon Lighthouse, check out absecanlighthouse.org. That's A-B-S-E-C-O-N lighthouse.org. The website includes all the information about when the lighthouse is open and also about special events. There are also two live webcams on the site, including a selfie cam. Yeah, it's the only live selfie cam I remember seeing at any lighthouse. <laughs> you have to go on the website to uh, actually understand what it is. I want to thank Gene Mushenik and Buddy Grover again for a really fun conversation. I think that Buddy's a national treasure. Absolutely. Be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn more about all the things the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers, including tours and the Passport Program. Remember that memberships and donations help support this podcast. I also want to remind people about the National Lighthouse Day Dance Contest. We're asking that people do some kind of a dance at a lighthouse between now and early August. National Lighthouse Day is August 7th, which is a Monday, so it would be ideal if people celebrate the day by dancing sometime in the August 5th to 7th period. It can be one person or a group of people, it can be staff or volunteers, or a group from a local dance school, whatever you want to do, but we ask that you dance to the original song, Meet Me at the Lighthouse by Joe Rivers, which we'll play in just a moment at the end of this episode. So have you got your dancing shoes ready, Cindy? <laughs> I'll have to dig those out. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I might have to buy a pair. Right. But uh, I want to remind people that they can get more information about the dance contest on the uh, U.S. Lighthouse Society news blog at news, N-E-W-S, news.uslhs.org. I also want to remind everyone that if you listen with Apple Podcasts, we'd like you to rate and review us. We will be back next week with a very interesting discussion about a famous lighthouse lens in Northern Ireland known as the Great Light. Until then, as always, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thanks so much for listening and keep a good light.
Good luck. 